Welcome to Dollars and Cents, creating your fulfilled life with Nicole Romito from Private Vista. In this podcast, we draw from years of experience as well as guest specialists to help you create the life you imagine. Join us in this journey as we enlighten and empower you to align your lifestyle to help you achieve your goals with a clear picture of your future. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to Dollars and Cents with your host, Nicole Romito. Nicole, what's going on? Hey, Eric. Uh, you know, just so much. Uh, getting ready to do a lot of my baking for the uh, Christmas season. So gearing up all my recipes and putting together the grocery list. What's going on with you? Well, I think the last time you and I were together, you were telling me about some other things you were baking. So you just like to tease this guy that uh, I, I do. But great, amazing things. Well, keep an eye out. You'll probably be receiving a package this year. You're on the nice list. Oh, so far, so good. All right. (laughs) I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Uh, Speaking of the nice list, you have a guest on the show today. I do. Yes. With me today in the studio, I have Lauren Weldon, and we are going to talk about long-term care planning, how to get your affairs in order. Yeah. It's going to be a really uh, interesting and I think important conversation. Yeah. And and if I'm not mistaken, I think the stats are 10,000 people a day are retiring, which means a a large chunk of those are going to end up in some sort of long-term care facility or some sort of assisted living. Uh, And that's the numbers just seem to be increasing. Am I right on that? Yes. I mean, we're all, I think as a world, but certainly in the US, we're living longer and healthier, but at some point your body and or your mind do start to deteriorate and more and more people are requiring some type of assistance, whether it's in their home and or in a facility. Well, I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. So good morning, Lauren. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thank you, Nicole, for having me. Yes. No, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So before we jump in, I'd like to give your bio so our listeners can know some of your background before you start sharing your tips and wisdom. Uh, You're a partner at Margolis Weldon, located in Park Ridge, Illinois. Lauren founded the law firm with Matt Margolis in 2015 She has her undergrad from the University of South Carolina and her law degree from the John Marshall Law School. And she also has her Juris Doctor Certificate of Concentration in Elder Care Law. She's a member of NAELA and Elder Council. And the focus of her practice is in estate planning, long-term care and Medicaid planning and trust administration. Her career as an elder care, excuse me, elder law attorney has allowed her to help a growing segment of the population with their unique needs. Lauren was raised in Des Plaines, Illinois, and currently lives in Mount Prospect with her husband and six children. So I would think between work and your family, you have a lot going on. But what do you like to do for fun? Well, the kids definitely keep me busy, but I also have been riding horses for quite some time now since I was a kid. I took a break during college, but I started back again as a mental health and physical outlet. Uh, work is stressful, right? Uh, absolutely. Kids are crazy. Yeah. And so I needed- <laughs> she was six uh, of them. <laughs> absolutely. So I needed some time to focus on myself and do something that wasn't work-related and writing really forces you to focus on what's going on so you don't kill yourself. So yeah. I have a horse, a pony actually right now. I had a horse and 
now I have a pony. Her name is Piper and Aww. she's amazing. Yeah, she's great. She's fantastic. And so we uh, we do hunter jumper and we do competitions sometimes. I, oh, wow. I ride pretty frequently. Yeah, we have a great time. She's fantastic. We have a lot yeah. of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. And I bet you have a very strong core from trying to stay upright on Piper. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's it's a strange thing. People will say, you know, how do you get better at writing? And the truth is you just have to do it because it uses such unique muscles that you can't necessarily work out at the same time, <laughs> except if you ride. So, oh, that's great. How often do you try to get out every week? So I'm, I have a very strict schedule and if I have a very strict schedule, everything gets done and everything, everybody gets where they're supposed to be. All the laundry is done. Nobody's looking at me and saying, mom, there's no milk. Everything, you know, has to get done at a certain day and time. And so if I am able to pull that off and I can get out to the barn, usually three to five days a week to ride. So yeah, that's impressive. You got to really, there's not a lot of room for error there. You know, one thing is, is going to blow things out out of proportion, but um, in terms of the schedule, I also, you know, I I have a fantastic family and they help out with the kids a lot. So it's great. And a supportive husband. uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talking about having to have a, takes a village, um, but also too, I think we might have to have you come back and help us with uh, perhaps some time management systems because <laughs> it sounds like you've got that down pat. I've tried. It's taken a long time and a lot of uh, a lot of just sitting in the kitchen saying, "Okay, well, this day is done. Yeah, <laughs> we're done. Everything's yeah. done." <laughs> and see, so, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about today because with planning for elder family members or yourself. Um, It does take a lot of ground. Well, if you're going to do it right and hopefully set everyone up for success and the least amount of stress possible, I would think that the sooner you start, the more people you involve and kind of just having a plan in place is really going to allow you to hopefully better navigate what is typically a very emotional and turbulent situation. So why don't we kind of start at the beginning and maybe talking about laying the groundwork, how kind of what's going on with people when they're reaching out to you in the first place? Yeah. So the way that I think about it is it's kind of a strange analogy, but it actually works really well. It's people call me when they realize that they're in a room and they can't get out and there's a woolly mammoth in there with them. And the thought process that you go through when you realize such a thing, you're in this room, right, is very similar to what people go through when they are realizing that they have a long-term care problem. The first thing that a lot of people uh, are faced with is, I thought this thing was extinct, right? I thought, well, mammoth, right? This isn't supposed to be here. (laughs) Going back to the Flintstones, Yeah, exactly. And it's very similar with a long-term care crisis. People frequently believe, for a variety of reasons, that this is not supposed to be happening to them. Sometimes it's because they believe that they have their documents in order, or they thought their mom or dad took care of this, or I thought that my husband bought the long-term care insurance. My wife did the finances. Where's all the money? How are we going to pay for this? There's a belief that something should have happened that maybe didn't or wasn't fully done or wasn't done correctly, 
or they just misunderstood what was done. Right. So we thought we had the right sort of trust in place to protect assets, whatever right. it may be. We thought we had the right sort of insurance. We thought the insurance paid for more or paid for this, or we thought Medicare was going to pay for it. There's a variety of different things that can happen or thoughts that people have, but ultimately there's this disbelief, right? There's a disbelief that this is happening right now, that I'm locked in here with something that was supposed to be extinct. Turn, turns out not so much. So after we get past the initial, I'm in here with a woolly mammoth, the next thought is, is this going to hurt me? Is this thing going to hurt me? And the answer is quite possibly. And it's no different than a long-term care situation. Is this going to cause me pain? Is this going to be a problem? And if so, how how bad is the problem going to be? Yeah. Am I going to sign a document as an adult child that signs me up for personal liability for mom and dad's debts? Are they going to have enough money to pay for this? Are they going to have to move in with me? Are they going to be able to get the care that they need at home? If they can't, where are they going to go? How bad is this going to be? If you're a spouse and your loved one and your spouse is ill, you could be thinking, am I going to have enough money to pay for my care? If we use all the long-term care insurance and it's a joint policy on one of us, what's left for me? If we use all the money on my wife, what's left for me? Right. So there's a lot of different thoughts that go into that in terms of the pain factor. Then the last thought is always, how do I get out of here? How am I going to get out? And that's really where I come in. They call me when they have gone through the first two aspects <laughs> and whether or not they've reached the right conclusions on those is, you know, remains to be seen. But right. the, the get me out of here piece is where I come in. And the truth is, my I can get you out. The question is how much damage I'm going to do in that process. If I have a family member who is involved, like I, so if I have adult children or anyone really, friends, it doesn't matter who, but if I can get some help getting you out, it's going to make my job easier. If you've given me the right tools to help you get out, it's going to be even easier. So for example, if you have powers of attorney and the estate plan that is in place already, then I, I, I've got a leg up, right? I, I've already got what I need for the most part to get my job done. If people come to me and the ill individual is lacking capacity and there's no power of attorney, then it's making my job really hard and it's going to take a lot longer and involve a lot more money. What happens if in that situation where there is not a power of attorney and the person is considered you know, incapacitated or they're not competent to be able to execute a power of attorney at that time? Yeah. So in order to execute a power of attorney, a person has to have capacity. You can later not have capacity and the power of attorney will still work and allow an right. agent to make healthcare or financial decisions for you. Mm -hmm. But if you are unable to create a power of attorney, then what happens is we would need to appoint a legal guardian on your behalf to make either financial or healthcare decisions or both. Okay. It's a process, right? It's a process. We got to go to court. It is usually not a very... It, it's going to take time to get the plenary guardianship in place. We can get a temporary one in certain circumstances under an emergency order if we needed to. You know, you got to actually have an emergency. <laughs> Merely failing to plan and, and, and wanting to do something now is not an emergency. So there has to be an active uh, situation where we need someone to be able to make legal decisions. But the guardianship okay. process is a process of last resort. We are making a disabled person a, um, we're stripping them of a lot of their legal rights and appointing someone else to act on their behalf. It can be very drawn out. Lots of you know, guardian and items, the individual, you know, respond to themselves 
it has the ability to get an attorney. So the disabled person can get an attorney if they want. There's a lot of attorneys, which means a lot of money. Right. And uh, it, it is it takes a minute for everything to get put in place appropriately. And then moreover, there's ongoing obligations to the court and to the judge between you know, annual accountings or a report of the person. So there's various things that have to go on in the future, year after year, as long as that guardianship is open. So it's 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 not an ideal way to solve that problem. No, it doesn't, especially if you're having to go to court to get appointed. I would think then while that's happening, you can't really make any other decisions or movements. So it's almost no, not it, really. right. Then you're delaying the person getting the care that they need. Agreed. And so, right. so yeah, whatever, whatever caused the initial, hey, we got a problem here is just growing worse and worse by the day. So it's either there isn't care, the person's at home and they're not getting sufficient care. Right. Maybe they're an elopement risk and it's winter and we're concerned that they're going to get in the car and drive to Indiana. I mean, there's a lot of different issues that come into play. And you, as I said, it's a tool, right? You got to give me tools to work with. And if you don't, then it makes my job a lot harder. Absolutely. So I think that'll be a common theme that we want to share with our listeners is the more thought and conversations and planning you can do ahead of time while everyone um, is, you know, capable of having the conversation, sharing their wishes and desires and things like that. Although those aren't no one wants to talk about. I know when I'm talking to clients, um, life insurance is a pretty easy conversation because everyone knows and agrees that they're going to die at some point. But when we start talking about long-term disability or what's applicable here, long-term care insurance, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And and I get it. No one wants to picture themselves unable to take care of themselves. So a a lot of people I know with my clients and my colleagues' clients is they just want to kind of kick the can down the road. So... Maybe then I think that's a good lead way. And, you know, how do we avoid certainly the guardianship process going through the courts, but also too, how do you avoid maybe being in a, the less than ideal situation if this happens to yourself or to a loved one? Yeah. So the whole thing starts with a plan. As you said, with life insurance, it's an easier conversation or topic because it's in the future. It's, it's not so yeah. painful. Yes, you are going to die. You know, it, it will happen. It happens to right. all of us. There's a belief, even though the statistics don't justify it, that some of us aren't going to get sick. And by that, most of us believe that we're not going to get sick before we pass away. It's going to be in our sleep. It'll be sudden and painless. Right which is what we want, right? But it doesn't frequently work out that way. And so there is a need to do planning. People don't like to do it. I don't want to talk about it. I get it too. That being said, if you do put planning in place, your ability to preserve money, to live the life that you want in, in, in terms of your retirement, passing wealth to future generations, getting appropriate care, you know, living in the location that you want with or without you know, friends or family close by, all those are possibilities. If you don't, it just, again, makes things so much harder. Having long-term care insurance is a certainly something that I advocate for for my clients, I, I tell lots of people to go in, look into it. If you haven't already, look into it. I tend to get people coming to see me a little bit too late to make it financially viable, or maybe they don't qualify based they, on right. existing conditions, yeah, right? Where they are health wise. Mm-hmm. So that's possible. And so I, I don't 
I have to figure out what the what plan B is. If long term care insurance isn't on the table, then okay, what does plan B look like? Let's see what we have in terms of resources and how and what we want, which is a big one. Even for people who don't take steps to have an active plan, they do have thoughts about how they want to live for the rest of their lives and where. And if you have those, if you have, you know, desires or or goals with regard to living in a particular community, for instance, a continuing care retirement community, moving in by a certain age, staying in your own home, all of those are goals that we have when it comes to long-term care. They just, you may not label them that way, right? You may not be thinking about it in such a way. But in addition to having some sort of thoughts about you know, where you want to spend your time in terms of long-term care and how and where you want to get care, having appropriate estate planning documents. I can't stress that enough. If you are capable of signing a power of attorney, please put those in place. It is difficult to get people to sign powers of attorney sometimes because they truly, they do realize the importance of what they are doing. And, and it is very important. I, I can't, as much as I want to stress the idea of getting powers of attorney in place while you're able, it is not something to rush into blindly at all. So powers of attorney, there's two types. There's a healthcare and a property POA, and they allow someone, an agent, to make decisions on behalf of the person creating the documents or the principal. Getting both types of powers of attorney in place is really important. But the powers of attorney do give your agent an awful lot of power. So your agent has the ability to do a lot of damage with regard to finances. So it is so important that you trust the person that you are naming and that you feel comfortable that that person is going to be able to make your decisions for you on the healthcare side based on your wishes versus their emotional needs or what have you. I I agree. And I just want to jump in. I, I agree with your two points. And I would add a third point of talk to the person that you're, yeah. you know, choosing, right? So A, that you can share with them your wishes, and then you can also confirm that they're going to be able to carry them out. Absolutely. Sometimes we know that the person that we're choosing is going to struggle and we somehow naively believe that they it, it, it just won't be a problem in the future. It's a right. problem They'll now. Rise but to the occasion exactly. when They'll it happens. Rise to the occasion. Yes. <laughs> it, it doesn't often, it, it just all falls apart at that point because they're still right. the same person. And, and the truth is they have to live with whatever decisions they make. Exactly. And that can be a really heavy burden for people. Yeah, it's a big responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. I counsel clients when they're trying to name their children and their children are still relatively young. So yes. under age 25, I always say, listen, I, you can do what you want, but in my, what I've seen is this is a really weighty decision that you're putting on somebody else's shoulders who just really hasn't experienced much in life to, to be able to shoulder it, right. To be able to carry that. And I caution against that at such a young age to be making life or death choices for your parent. It's hard when you're in your 50s or 60s, let alone absolutely you know, 22. So, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly that it's a very, very uh, they're very important, but very heavy documents. And you, they should be given the respect that they command. Right. The other thing I just wanted to highlight, which you may be getting to, is um, oftentimes if parents have more than one child, so uh, we can use you as an example, mm-hmm. um, is for the power of attorney, you can only, only one person can be your agent at any one time. So 
you couldn't name like all six kids to say, hey, you're going to all be my powers of attorney for health care at the same time. You could list them in order one through six. But I like to point that out because sometimes parents are saying, oh, I don't want to look like I'm choosing a favorite or I don't want to leave out, you know, little Sally or things like that. So I think that's something to factor into the decision as well. Agreed. And the truth is, it's a thankless job. There's no awards given out at the end of the year for being an excellent agent under a power of attorney. No, it's it's like being on your condo board. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe you are somebody for, you know, for whom you need the power trip. You want to be in control. That's probably not a good person to choose as your agent, as a side note. But I would say, yes, you cannot have co-agents. There's very legitimate reasons as to why not. At right. the same time, you know, it's it's kind of the same philosophy. The parents who usually want to name co-agents want to do so because either they don't trust their their children, you know, either each of them separately. So they think maybe together I'll have a whole person that I can trust or their kids don't get along now. And they're hoping that by forcing them to work together, it will somehow solve itself. It's not going to solve itself. It will not solve itself no. by making no. them work together. Mm-mm. Nope. So that's always a bad idea. But the truth is, when it comes to making these decisions, I, as you mentioned, I have six children. So there are some of my children who I feel much more comfortable <laughs> being responsible Absolutely. to do that than others. And it's nothing against them. It's just they're not financially minded or right. this one gets a cent and it's going to be gone, you know, and that's everybody. Right. We all have, as parents, we look at our kids and we say, you're better at this than the other one. And yeah. it's OK to make those choices. If not you, then who? Right. If not right. you, then who? So. As you said, family conversations are a big part of the plan as well. Having those conversations with your kids and having the ability to sit them down and say, this is what I've done. This is what I've put in place. And this is who I've named is really important. I can't stress enough that estate planning documents only work if people know about them. So if you have done an estate plan and nobody has copies of it and you yourself don't even know where it is, it's like you haven't done anything. The powers of attorney need to be out there. Your bank should have a copy of the property power of attorney. Your financial advisor should have a copy of that document. If you have done a trust, is it funded? Does your financial advisor have copies of your trust so that they can make sure your assets are appropriately designated um, in oh, conjunction with the that's trust? so common, Lauren, when, yeah. I, when new clients are coming to us. Oh, no, we've done all our estate planning. And then we get copies of their statements or beneficiary designations and Everything is still owned jointly. And then it goes, you know, to the spouse and then the, you know, their children outright. So that that is very common that I see that where they have not funded the trust. And then you have all these great documents. And we know you and I know they're still gonna then they could still work, but they're gonna have to go through probate. So again, extra attorney fees and extra time and things like that to get it where it's going. Agreed. And it, it's it's right back to that woolly mammoth analogy, right? So that's the part where people are saying, I, I thought that this was taken care of. I thought right. this was done. It's not done. It's not done unless you do it. There, so let's solve the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. you, you have to actually fund the trust, which is a really big deal. And so many people don't understand that. We right. make a, it a big point in our office, but I, I still can't say that I you know, have a hundred percent success rates because ultimately it's a pain, right? It's a, it's a pain point. It, but- it is because it's, even if it's so much, a lot of it you can do online now, but it's mm-hmm. still taking the time and logging in. And then 
I think too, even understanding, well, do I still name my spouse as primary? And then is my trust the secondary or contingent? And and then there's all different answers depending on your yep. situation and how the trust was written. So even yeah. with that, I know, as you mentioned, working with your financial advisor um, and having them and the attorney work together and be part of the conversation can then really mean that you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's. So hopefully alleviating or, or um, getting rid of the, oh, I thought this was all taken care of. Hey, pardon the interruption. I know you are listening to Dollars and Cents, Creating Your Fulfilled Life with Nicole Romito, and we're happy you're here. If you have any questions, please head over to myprivatevista.com or the show notes to find out how to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. Agreed. Agreed. And just taking that time now, because if you yourself don't fund the trust, it will be funded upon your passing, but through the probate process. So it's not as though this aspect of transferring assets, changing beneficiaries, liquidating things. It's not like we get to avoid that in life or death. It, it has to happen. It's just a question of who and how much it's going to cost right? in terms of time and money. Right. Right. So as you were talking, the other thing I wanted to point out about the family conversations is if you become queasy at the thought of having a family conversation with your children or loved ones or friends or whatever it is, it's that is a pretty big red flag that we are either choosing the wrong people or things are not going to go well when we need to use these documents, right? Whether we are ill or we passed away or whatever it is, because if that is tough for you to do, then we may need to rethink the strategy about what we're trying to accomplish with our estate plan and who we are putting in these seats. There are other individuals that you can choose that are not family or friends. We can hire geriatric care managers or care management companies who are professionals at making healthcare decisions and or managing finances. Don't feel like we have to be locked into choosing the people who you know we can't even have a conversation with. If that's a, a real stumbling block to putting an estate plan in place, my response to that for people is that's not a good enough excuse for me. We have solutions for that. So there are groups and individuals and companies that we can appoint to make those choices for us, for sure. Yeah, and that, that's a very important point. So I think, again, having your your team together, the you know your financial advisor who's going to know how all the pieces of your financial puzzle fit together, what your goals are around your legacy planning, and what your goals are for long-term care planning, and then bringing in the attorney such as yourself, who obviously would be drafting the legal documents. Um, but in your experience, having you know been through settling estates or going through the guardianship process and things like that, really able to ask those difficult questions and like drill down with the follow-up questions. So maybe they can answer the first question easily, but then you might be like, okay, what about you know, what if the three kids don't miraculously come together to make the decisions on your behalf that you, had, you know, hope they would make? Um, what if it, right? What does it look like if, you know, the care for your spouse is, um, you know, it's reduced your assets by half? Is that changing how you're thinking about this? So I, I think it is good to have a lot of the what if or let's play this out a couple of different ways to see if, if, if what you're thinking still sounds like the best uh, solution and feels right in your gut. Yeah, definitely. 
Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, okay. What about, you mentioned um, uh, earlier in our conversation, maybe a little bit about Medicare versus Medicaid. I know I often will have clients say, well, I, I, I'm on Medicare, Nicole. That'll cover long-term care. I, you know, that box is checked. Let's move on to the next item. So why don't we start there? Um, as we both know that it's uh, there's limited coverage. And then a lot of people still confuse Medicare with Medicaid. And um, I know you've worked with a lot of people to help them do planning um, around around long-term care in general. Just what are your goals? And then how are you preserving assets either for a spouse and or the next generation? Yeah. So there's different ways to pay for long-term care. You know, we touched on long-term care insurance before. I would say tips for that would be to look at the policy, make sure that you're still have, have paid those premiums, that you didn't let it lapse. And then also figure out what the coverage is and what the amounts are. If you haven't looked at it lately, coverage amounts and benefits do increase for the most part over time, but they're still not, it's meant to supplement, right? Uh, income to help us pay for care. It's not going to cover the full freight. Some policies, depending on when you purchase them, may not cover all the locations in which you may potentially receive care. All the care. levels of care, yep. mm-hmm. I think is the word you're looking for. Yeah, right. thank you. Yeah, no, um, you got it. Yep. So sometimes we want to stay at home and that's our main right. goal. We want to stay at home. Pretty if typical, the, I would say. Yeah, it, it is. And it, so it t- makes sense to the degree where you can still get the type of care that you need. Absolutely. But if you don't have a policy that pays for caregivers in the home, then that isn't going to help us very much. And if that's what you're counting on to help fund your long-term care, we have a problem. The other thing is sometimes if we do have a long-term care insurance policy, it's important to realize that there's a lot of paperwork that has to be provided to the long-term care insurance to get that coverage paid. So hiring a private individual to provide care that's not through an agency is always a problem. Most of the time, insurance companies don't want anything to do with that and they want someone that's licensed and bonded. But then in addition, there's so much paperwork that you need to provide that it just doesn't make sense because there's so many lo- you know, caregiver logs and timesheets and things like that, that having a caregiving agency that's licensed and bonded to help you with that is going to be necessary. But in addition to long-term care insurance, there's, different, there's other ways that we could pay for care. So if we have long-term care insurance, use it. If you've got it, use it. Don't yes. wait for a rainy day. Can I add on a comment before you? Yeah, yeah, I think you're going to pivot here, which is is great. I would say, too, that long term care insurance continues to evolve. And I'm going to say there's pluses and minuses to the uh, evolving part of that. I mean, it was created back in the 70s and it's come a long way. But a lot of times in the media and things, they're focusing on, you know, it's very expensive and you're paying more and more for less and less benefits. I mean, the prices have increased, the premiums have increased because as the actuaries and can actually see, you know, they've had a good history now of claims and they're getting a better idea of, you know, that a lot of these policies are paying out instead of lapsing as they thought they would. Yeah. But I would also say there's a lot of different products or solutions. So there's there's a few different ways in which you can approach it if you want to try and insure or transfer a portion of that risk to the insurance company. 
So yes, I, yeah, I won't get into all like all the different products and stuff because that's not our focus today. But I did just want to make sure that our listeners know. So again, talk to your financial advisor and incorporate it in your overall plan. First of all, you can you can see and say, okay, if we're gonna have, you know, an extra maybe initially it's an extra, you know, thirty thousand dollars a year of expenses. And, you know, then you can model different different um, levels of expense, how long it's lasting, things like that to understand the impact to your overall financial picture. So I just wanted wanted to get in there. It's not a one size fits all. And so just as you were talking about when you're choosing your uh, subsequent decision makers, just make sure you're looking at what makes sense for your picture and what will your situation support. Agreed. I, yeah, that's that's very appropriate to to comment on, and I, that's definitely not my my scene, right? So when people come to me, they've already got it or they don't. Right. So that conversation is so important on the front end to stress to people what what long term care insurance is providing and the very various yes. options that are out there. Yeah, and you're right; it has evolved. I've seen policies that are unlimited that have excellent, just excellent, excellent benefits, and then I've seen some where and they're not so great. But either way, it's insurance. And uh, the biggest issue that I see with uh, long-term care insurance is an unwillingness to use it, to feel as though we are saving it for some other event that will happen to us down the road. So maybe you don't even get to use the full benefit of it that you've paid into. So using it and taking advantage of it is always important. Agreed. Whether, yeah. So that you mentioned the idea of Medicare and Medicaid and which government agency is paying for long-term care. And that is a very common misconception. And it's an important one to distinguish you know, between those two uh, options. So Medicare does not pay for long-term care in a long-term care community, like a nursing home or assisted living. Medicaid will pay for long-term care, room board and medical expenses in a nursing home or a supportive living facility. And those are two very legally distinct categories in the long-term care community spectrum, which I'll discuss in just a moment. But in, in terms of Medicare, Medicare pays for rehab in a skilled care facility for somebody who qualifies. So if you fall and you broke break your hip and you're in the hospital for the qualifying amount of time, which is three midnights, you're able to go to a rehab facility, which is frequently a nursing home, and get rehab up to 100 days. You may not qualify for 100 days, depending on the nature of your injury and whether or not you're making progress, but it only the coverage only lasts for 100 days. If you are truly in need of a nursing home or supportive living facility, your time limit is going to be longer than that, right? You're going to need care for longer than what Medicare will provide for. The thought process behind Medicare is that they're going to get you well enough to go back home or back to where you're living and you no longer will need this level of care. For people who do need that level of care or need more care, we have Medicaid. And as I said, Medicaid pays for room board and medical expenses in a supportive living facility or a nursing home. A supportive living facility is the same level of care as assisted living, but it is a legally distinct classification. So 
many times people come to me and they say, okay, I, I went to, you know, this community. I went down the street. You can, you know, if you just drive down your street, you'll probably hit a, an assisted living facility. And they're all set to move in. And I say, well, that's that the facility doesn't accept Medicaid, right? So that's not a Medicaid facility because that's assisted living and assisted living is private pay. A supportive living facility does accept Medicaid and it's the same level of care. There has been a shift in the past probably five to seven years in terms of more and more assisted living communities focusing on memory care. So you see a lot of memory care communities and people come in with this belief that they need memory care. They need memory care. When you press them as to what exactly that means to them or what exactly they need, it's a very vague answer. They just hear this idea of I need memory care. Mom needs memory care. She's having memory issues. Memory care is not there's no legally distinct facility that's uh, this is a memory care community. Memory care involves a lot more programming and emphasis on cognitive decline and is geared you know structurally and programming wise to meet the needs of people who are more cognitively diminished. So it could okay. be a locked unit. So if for somebody who is cognitively declined and they are an elopement risk, we don't want them to be able to walk out the door if you know staff is not being able to watch them 24-7. So if that happens, we want a locked unit. So mm-hmm. a memory care community is really designed to meet the needs of that population, but it's not appropriate for everybody, right? It's not just because you need, have some cognitive decline doesn't necessarily mean you need to go into a memory care community. Right. You might just need assisted living (laughs) and have memory care issues, memory issues. Right. It's not a one size fits all. We need to go into memory care. So you really have to evaluate what the person's what the concern is and what your what what problem you're trying to solve by that assisted living space. Right. Right. Supportive living facilities. They have a few that are that have locked units that are geared towards memory care in, in the state. There's not a lot of them. They're really more meant for people who are physically disabled, physically declining, as opposed to cognitively declining. There's, they're usually more, a more fit population, more active. Some of them have jobs, some of them, you know, drive still could be the same with assisted living, but it just from a practical and uh, what type of populations are living in these communities, the populations in assisted living these days are more diminished than they used to be. And supportive living tends to be more active, just the way it were. There's not really a a specific reason for that. It's just the way it it has kind of turned out to be. But Medicaid pays for room board and medical expenses in those two types of communities. Nursing homes are the highest level of care. And that is a true hospital-like setting where we are able to get you the highest level of care possible. So those that's a, a big one in terms of trying to correlate between Medicare and Medicaid and who pays for what. Medicaid okay. is a different government benefit than Medicare. Right. Do you want to, I, I don't, we could probably do a whole separate podcast session on Medicaid planning. Um, is there anything you wanted to highlight here or maybe give like at the 30,000 foot level, how how you work with your clients on that? Yeah. So sometimes people think, oh, Medicaid, I don't need Medicaid. You know, I've got money. I've got this. I've got that. I've got right. Or I'll never never qualify. I'll never qualify. Right. 
Medicaid planning is used for people who are are trying to insure against the same risk that you're trying to insure against with long-term care insurance. But for whatever reason, either we know that the long-term care insurance isn't going to be enough or maybe we don't qualify. Okay. It's the plan B, right? If, if long-term care insurance isn't going to work for a variety of reasons, let's talk about Medicaid planning. Let's talk about how we're going to insure against the long-term care you know, dr- asset drain. We're trying to, with Medicaid planning, preserve resources so that they don't all get spent down on care. And there's a variety of tools that we can use to make that happen. But essentially, it's the same sort of thought process. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think, like I said, that one could be a separate, uh, we'll have to have you back and maybe we'll do a session just on that because I'm sure there's lots of details and twists and turns on doing that appropriately. Absolutely. So I think, you know, Lauren, we could, I could sit here and talk with you all day. Um, you know, you're just a wealth of knowledge and this is such a important area and it just hits not only understanding the legal side and, you know, uh, documents and avoiding the court system, but it's a real emotional topic that we both know and have seen with our clients Oftentimes, they're just going to wait until they're in the thick of it. And that just is not the best way for the person who needs the care and then certainly their circle of loved ones. So why don't we maybe just kind of do a quick, you want to pivot and we'll do some like key takeaways, which you've already talked about. But if you just want to kind of highlight like the top three things that you'd recommend people consider or hope that you take away from our conversation. Absolutely. So some of these are a little just random thoughts, but the first one is properly signing as a power of attorney. So if you are acting as a power of attorney, acting as an agent for a loved one, properly signing documents so that you yourself are not signed up for financial liability is really important. The actual property power of attorney document should have a notice to agent on it that expels out how you're supposed to sign as the agent. If you are people sometimes don't understand or think that just by signing their name and then POA, it's going to be fine. Everything will be fine. The truth is it may not be fine. And you could end up in a situation where you have signed up for the cost of care or you have signed up for whatever liability your your principal was supposed to be signing for. It could not be a big deal. And then in some cases, it can be a huge deal. I have had adult children sued by communities for... Um, some issue that could have they could have walked away from for financial issues, financial liability because they failed to sign the document correctly. Um, and that actually brings me to the second point, which is having someone, a an attorney, an elder law attorney, review a contract for an assisted living, nursing home, independent living, any type of community. Those oh, contracts great idea. are super difficult to understand. They're lengthy and they can they contain language that if someone if you really did sit there and read it, you'd be floored as to what you are either releasing the community from or signing up you or your loved one to be able to let the community do. They are very one sided. Yes, so I'm sure it, they favor the uh, facility. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and they, they they are they are used. These facilities do use them as a means to get paid or um, reduce their liability. Variety of things. And then the last thing that I wanted to mention was finding those important documents. I had an email just this weekend from a prospective client who does have a trust, she believes, but she doesn't know where it is. And so mm. we went through the where could it be, how important it is to have the documents, right. how she's going to try to find the documents. 
If you have important documents, not just estate planning documents, but birth certificates, financial information, all of those documents are important to be to allow those agents or your loved ones and family to pick up the pieces if you got sick or after you pass. There is no repository or storage, you know, spot that the government holds for all of your stuff. So Sometimes people come to me and they say, "Well, my mom passed away. I, I don't know where she. I don't know where she banked. I, I have no idea where um, you know her assets are. How are we going to figure that out?" And I say, "I don't know. Sounds like a, a tough problem, but you got. <laughs> I don't know right. what you want to read. Right. I have no way to figure that out either. You look at your tax return, but that's about it. So it's a tough problem to solve. And if you have that stuff organized and you're giving someone the ability to make your decisions, give them the ability to know what they're making decisions about, right? Give them that financial information. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't make it so hard that the task becomes impossible. Right. And even if you don't want to share the information now, have a binder, have a spreadsheet, have a file on your computer or right. And just let them know in the event, like here's where all my information is, here's where my passwords are, right? So just be like, there. this is the file or this is the tab and the spreadsheet you go to, to try to make it easier for them. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So, well, those are all great tips. It's been really great talking to you today. Again, appreciate you sharing your knowledge, your experience. And I think hopefully what came through is having the right people on your team can really help you and your loved ones navigate this situation a lot easier. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you Uh, for inviting me. Absolutely. Uh, One of the things I like to ask each of my guests is, where would you most like to live and why? There's no wrong answer. And just go under the assumption that like there's no financial constraints or time constraints or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I... I have a very boring answer, but no. the boring, an- <laughs> sadly, the boring answer is I'm right where I'm at. I have, I am a very, um, I am, I, a, love I feel very lucky to be a grounded person in the sense that I am happy where I am. I have worked hard to get where I am and I, you know, I appreciate that and I am very satisfied, a satisfied person <laughs> with my, that's great. With my, that's where I live. That's not boring. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, good, good. All right. Well, great. So if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? Yeah. So um, email is always great. I, okay. Because of my children, I work strange hours. So uh, my email is Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N at margolasweldon.com. Lauren and Nicole, this has been great. A ton of great information. Um, I appreciate all that you bring to the table, Lauren. Of course, Nicole, thank you so much for hosting this and bringing another excellent guest on. If folks want to reach out and and speak to you about the financial side or your team about the financial side of this entire scenario, um, how do they get a hold of you guys? Yeah, there's two ways. Uh, they can call our. They can call at 312-831-4370. And either Lorraine or Sue will be able to direct them to the appropriate advisor. Uh, or on our website, um, they can go to www.myprivatevista.com. And there's a contact us button in the upper right hand corner. Perfect. Great. Thank you both again. And of course, our last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Dollars and Cents podcast with Nicole Romito. 
If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Nicole comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review. This actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Private Vista, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Cents, Creating Your Fulfilled Life with Nicole Romito, sponsored by Private Vista. Visit our website at www.myprivatevista.com or give us a call at 312-831-4370. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Private Vista is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions, or results obtained from the use of this information. Private Vista and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced. Such data and other information are subject to changes without notice. This was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.